1: For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me.
0: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: From MCIE. It's 2023, y'all. I don't know about you, but my year has got off to a bit of a rough start. I got COVID last week when I was supposed to be catching up on all the work I didn't do over the break. And our family got a new puppy. Say hi, Jupiter. And sleeping at night has been a challenge. But otherwise, I can't complain. We've got a great episode for you today an interview with a slight twist. My name is Tim Villegas from the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education, and you are listening to Think Inclusive, a show where with every conversation we try to build bridges between families, educators, and disability rights advocates to create a shared understanding of inclusive education and what inclusion looks like in the real world. You can learn more about who we are and what we do at mcie.org. For this episode, I speak with Ashley Barlow, a special education attorney advocate and host of the podcast, Special Education Advocacy with Ashley Barlow. In a former life, she was a German teacher in Jefferson County Public Schools and Cincinnati Public Schools, having taught nearly every grade from K to 12. Ashley practices statewide in Kentucky and also operates a business to empower and inspire parents and advocates in special education education. Which can be found at ashleybarlowco.com. She is also the director of education at the National Down Syndrome Congress. We did something a little different for this episode. Ashley and I interviewed each other and are posting the same interview on each of our respective podcasts. Cool, right? We talk about a number of things related to inclusive education, including what does inclusive ed really mean, as well as using dear colleague letters as a strategy in IEP meetings. Thank you so much for listening. And now my interview with Ashley Barlow. All right, Ashley Barlow, welcome to the Think Inclusive podcast.
3: Thank you, Tim. And welcome to you to the Special Education Advocacy with Ashley Barlow podcast.
2: I love this already.
3: (laughs) it's fun see everything you can do anything differently that's what i like about this
2: right right um okay so just to not confuse anyone um ashley and i have decided we are going to interview each other for each other's podcasts at the same time so this is like a very special episode of think inclusive in the ashley barlow podcast
3: yes And what I like about this is I always confuse people when I suggest it because my podcasts are um, more like conversations than interviews, I think. And so when I say, let's have a conversation and publish it on both of our platforms, people are always like, oh, I don't know. I'm a little nervous. (laughs) I like it. I like, you know, kind of switching it up a little.
2: Yeah, this is fun. This is fun. All right. So, um, um, the listeners to Think Inclusive may not know who Ashley Barlow is. So, Ashley, would you tell us a little bit about you and your podcast?
3: Sure. Let's do it. So, hi, my name is Ashley Barlow. I am a special education attorney. I practice in um, the greater Cincinnati area. I am currently licensed in Kentucky and Ohio. Um, new news. I will probably let my Ohio license um, go into escrow or go inactive, whatever they call that. Um, I am also a parent in the disability community. I have a little boy named Jack who has Down syndrome. Um, I am a self-advocate myself. I broke my back when I was 15 years old and I have a physical disability. I used to be a teacher. Um, I taught German before I went to law school. And um, then I own a business called Ashley Barlow Company. And um, what we do at Ashley Barlow Company is we provide much more reasonably priced resources to parents in special education. I really advocate through the lens of um, special education law, um, the federal law, the um, state regulations, guidance documents, that sort of thing. Um, And I have found through my practice That having a more collaborative approach and and really kind of focusing on the IEP team has been quite successful. And so after thinking about this for many, many years, I decided to open Ashley Barlow Company in 2020. I have two digital courses, one that is geared more towards parents, one that is geared more towards um, people that desire to become advocates or to grow their advocacy process uh, or their business. Um, And then finally, I am um, the Director of Education at the National Down Syndrome Congress as well. I just took that full-time job in October of 2022. So it's a new job. I'm scaling back my law firm and um, and going full-time with NDSC.
2: That's fantastic. Uh, and you have um, a beautiful family that you're very, very busy with. Oh, yes. I Well, that's what we just talked about. Yes, yes.
3: I have a very full family life as well. My, um, my son, Jack is 12. He's like super involved in all sorts of activities and, um, and just trying to keep him engaged is a full-time job. Um, particularly we're recording this over his Christmas break and that is quite a challenge. Um, and then my oldest son, Griffin is a swimmer. And so I'm driving him all over the town for swimming, um, and my husband works in finance. Tim, why don't oh. we do the same thing? Why don't you do an introduction for my audience as well?
2: Absolutely. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Tim Viegas. I am the Director of Communications for the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education, uh, which is a nonprofit. And I'm also the founder of Think Inclusive, uh, which is MCIE's um, official blog and podcast. So I was a special education teacher for 16 years. I taught four years in California and the rest in Georgia, which is where I live right now. And in 2012, I started uh, a blog called Think Inclusive in a podcast. And it was really to it was really to learn more about inclusion. Um, I had been a um, self-contained special education teacher the whole time I'd been a teacher. And had gone through various um, thoughts about inclusion. I started off as a skeptic. I, I didn't really think it was the right thing to do. Uh, but once I saw it, in uh, you know, with my own eyes and my own experience, and I started to learn more, and really developed as an educator, I realized yes, it is. It is the right thing to do, and it is the best thing um, for all children, uh, authentically and. Uh, Supported inclusive education. So once I started to do that and write and contact people, and, you know, I met a lot of people, uh, self advocates, people with disabilities, uh, and interviewed them, the more and more committed I was to the concept of inclusion and inclusive education. And then I realized that a lot of people feel that way too. And so that's how we got our audience that's how we got um so many people wanting to know more and in 2020 it actually became my full-time job because i contacted my my boss uh right now uh, our ceo carol quirk um who's been with mcie since the late 80s early 90s um they've been doing this work uh, of partnering with school districts I'll say a little bit more about that in a second but she said hey we have a a position open for a communications um, person just why don't you just come on board and bring everything with you and you can do this work alongside of us and so that is how I get to do this uh, full-time and talk to great people like Ashley yeah Um, uh, so great yeah, yeah. So it's that's a uh, change,
3: isn't it? It's such a change. I'm going through that change right now. It's crazy.
2: Yes, it's it's like um, it's like the thing that you did for fun, and it was you know a little bit. I mean, it's still advocacy, but it's it's fun. <laughs> it's like it's what I want to do, right? Right the thing that I that I I did on the side and just for fun and just to kind of keep me going is now the thing that I'm doing and it's yeah I'm still having to pinch myself after almost three years yeah
3: yeah for sure so should we dive in
2: sure let's do it let's do it um is it my turn to ask a question
3: (laughs) this is the way we're doing this friend (laughs) is we both have questions kind of written up and we're going to see where the conversation takes us. But for right now, our plan is to alternate. If you listen to my podcast regularly, you know that the agenda oftentimes goes out the window and we just start talking. <laughs> so sure. However, let's, let's go, Tim, hit me with the first question.
2: Okay. So um, how I got introduced to your podcast, Ashley was, Well, I don't remember exactly, but I do remember going through and looking at episodes. And I think I just happened to click on the one that you talked about, Dear Colleague Letters. And that was so interesting to me because while I am familiar with Dear Colleague Letters, I couldn't tell you, oh, these are the ones that you should read or you should use in your advocacy. But you had a plan like you had like if you want to do this, if you if you want to bring this colleague letter, dear colleague letter to an IEP meeting, this is how you could use it. And I thought it was so it was so clear and a way for um, a family uh, could reference your information. And it, it was very useful. So I'm wondering, could you explain what is a dear colleague letter and how can families or educators use them in IEP meetings with regard to inclusion.
3: Yes, and I'm happy that you found that episode helpful. You know, sometimes as as you do too, I'm certain. Um when you are developing material, no matter what it's for, whether you're speaking at a conference or it's a PDF download that I'm developing for Ashley Barlow Company or something, I'm always like, is this what people want? Is this too um, micro level is it too one oh one level? Is it too um nerdy? Is it like not it, it, even close to being the, at the center of the onion enough? you know, like you're kind of always thinking, what is it? And I think that that episode in particular was pretty micro level, right? And so, um, I'm uh, the feedback is good, so dear colleague letters um are. And let's also throw in policy documents. Um, so, dear colleague, letters and policy documents are things that the United States Department of Education and/or state um, departments of Ed will publish in order to tease out the law. So, we're going to go back to um, high school government for a second, and we're going to remember that there are four branches of government, and there's this like weird pseudo fifth branch of the government. So, I'm sorry. There's three. Did I say four? There's three branches of government. Holy cow. And there is this weird pseudo fourth branch. OK, so you have the legislative body. They make the laws. And we lawyers are always like, don't blame me for the law. If, you, if you've if you got a problem, talk to a policy person and those policy people, the lobbyists can go talk to the legislators and get it changed. Right. So go talk to Congress. You, I just deal with what the law says. And then you've got the judicial branch, the judges, the court system and the court system interprets those laws and we get case law from that. And then that also becomes the law. And then we have the executive branch and those are um, the administrative bodies. So the executive branch um, is the president of the United States, the, the the governor of the state, the mayor of the town, those um, those people. And of course, they can make law as well. They can do executive orders and and make rules as well. Um, Then, what we know about this kind of pseudo fourth branch of government is that the executive branch can make um, cabinets. So, we get these administrative agencies like the Department of Defense, Department of State, and what's important to us in education is the Department of Education. So, if the legislators make the laws in that legislative branch, then what happens with the Department of Ed is they get to make things called regulations and the regulations kind of tease out the law. So the big federal law in special education is the Individuals with Disabilities in Education Act, IDEA, and IDEA is really, really, really broad, really broad. Like if you look at what IDEA says about inclusion, that is an eight, po- an eight point font, um, it is probably about four lines long. It's not very long at all, that provision about least restrictive environment. And so if you want to try to figure out least restrictive environment inclusion um, by reading the federal law, good luck, have at it. What are you going to do? There's lots of little clauses, but what we have to have is we have to have these regulations that break down the laws. But still, even then, the regulations are still really broad. So what teases out the regulations, what helps us to understand the regulations are these policy documents and Dear Colleague Letters. Policy documents are going to be like, oh, usually 30 or 40 page documents where the Department of Ed is going to say, this is how we interpret blah, blah, blah. This is inclusion a la Georgia Department of Ed, or this is um, dyslexia intervention a la Alabama Department of Ed. The dear colleague letters are um, more, that's, you're like, finally, she's getting to the point. What are the dear colleague letters? I like to start real, real broad. and <laughs> no, go you're, real good, you're good. You're
2: well, good. We're tracking. <laughs> so,
3: so the dear colleague letters are letters that um, take the, the questions of individuals and answer them according to those policy documents. Regulations and the federal law and the state law. So it might be somebody that's found a loophole or it might be somebody that has seen a pattern of something that has um, happened time and time and time again. And so they say, I'm a special education attorney or I'm a teacher or I'm a parent. I'm a superintendent. And I've noticed this pattern or I've noticed this injustice. What do you do about blah, blah, blah? I've looked at the case law. I've looked at the guidance documents. I've looked at the federal and state law and I don't know what it is. So inclusively, I'm going to go just a little bit deeper in answering your question, Tim, because um, what when we look at inclusion, um, the guidance document um, is, you know, there's plenty of guidance documents on inclusion. But specifically, as we look at dear colleague letters, um, there are dear colleague letters that deal with things like a student's right to supplementary aids and services. There are dear colleague letters that um, talk about how a child's educational placement is not to be determined by things like disability category, severity of disability, um, configuration of the service delivery system. I'm literally quoting Letter to Margulis of 626-2003, those sorts of things. There are dear colleague letters that talk about how the individual needs of the student have to be considered in the placement decision. Um, another category of, um, of guidance that we get in these dear colleague letters is how the, um, placement of the child, how inclusive the placement is, is to be determined. And so we have, for example, letter to Basso, which is dated 823 of 2010, that says that the decisions have to be made by the entire IEP team, people that are knowledgeable about the child. Lots of people want to know about that homeschool thing. Like there's there's, you know, oh, I know that somewhere in the law it says that children with disabilities have to be educated in um, their quote unquote homeschool. Well, there's guidance documents, dear colleague letters on that as well. Um, and the last category that I have broken down in my inclusion workshop is modifications to general education. So we've got, for example, and I think this is um and actually the guidance document from OSERS that says that. Students can't be um, excluded from the Gen Ed classroom solely on the basis of the need for modifications to the Gen Ed curriculum. Um, So they're just a wealth of information. Yeah, that was a big, long answer, but I get real excited about it.
2: Yeah. Well, and also, so you have um, some sort of training or package for people to learn more. Is that right?
3: I do. Yes. So I have... um, a a product called the Inclusion Workshop. It is about an hour and a half of video content. um, And it walks you through this document, this PDF document that is 25 pages long, um, that is called the Inclusion Workshop Workbook. Um, And what we do is we kind of like focus on the law and then we look at the regulations. um, And then we look at those guidance documents um, I also give an example of a case um, because I just like for people to see what happens with real students, real kids in real life situations. Um, and then I have several pages and several minutes of the content that talk about practical strategies to advocate for inclusion. So one of those, for example, um, is to really kind of focus on the schedule, like what what classes are available, or if it's elementary school, um, what's the day look like in the gen ed classroom? And then how can we capitalize on that? Like, how can we um, find time when we can push in services? Or if we think this um, child might need some pull out resource time, where can we find um, time that's great for that, that we aren't taking away from other meaningful time? Um, You know, what kind of factors should we consider when we look at the schedule and that sort of thing. So um, I have some practical strategies and also kind of some lists of criteria that the case law says that we need to consider when we are determining a student's placement. Um, That list actually is um, a compilation of discussion points that I've had when talking to other special education attorneys and advocates over the years. I literally just started pressing record when a friend would call me and say, "Hey, I have a kid with Down syndrome. I have a kid with an intellectual disability and um and we've got an inclusion discussion." I'm like, "Okay, okay, great. Let me hit record cuz I I might be able to pull something out like once I start talking to people, I get good ideas." <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's great. That's great. Um, so,
3: yeah. oh, do you have a follow-up?
2: No, no, no. I was just saying that that's that's great information. I think that I think that um our listeners would definitely want to look at that
3: yeah thank you it is i'm i'm very proud of the inclusion workshop probably that and my negotiation strategies um course are the two that i'm most proud of because again like i advocate you know from within the framework of um within the framework of the law and so that is something that um I think is quite important. Um, Tim, I was um, super interested in the good work that you all do there um, and super interested in um, what kind of how... If we could dive into this discussion about the definition of inclusion,
2: mm-hmm. right? Yep.
3: Because I, you know, I think anybody that puts themselves out there as an inclusion expert or someone that's more than curious about inclusion, um, inevitably the conversation comes up like, what is inclusion? And so I think my first question in that is, um, you know, maybe you could talk about like the, the kind of mentality that, Inclusion doesn't necessarily have a definition. And in fact, it can be interpreted so many different ways by so many different people.
2: Yeah, I can I can speak to that. So inclusion is uh, a big word um, and especially inclusion like with a big eye. uh, It's more like freedom or justice. They're they're hard to um, they're hard to define in a way that's. Um, useful, I guess. Um, but how I define inclusion is really more how I would define inclusive education. So in the context of what we do at MCIE, and when I say inclusion always works, what I mean is that when Inclusive education is supported and authentic. That um, it always works. And if it does, if it doesn't work, um, as a lot of people like to say, well, it didn't work for this kid. You know, inclusion didn't work for my student, or inclusion didn't work for my child. Uh, when you look at why it didn't work, it's because it wasn't supported, um, and it wasn't authentic. So how we describe uh, inclusive education is um, really with four things, and uh, we draw a lot on the work of Michael McSheehan and Cheryl Jorgensen uh, in their Beyond Access model. So I always want to you know, give them credit for um, this framework, but uh, membership, participation, and learning. Um and we emphasize one more of those, and I'll explain all of those um but placement you can't be included without being there and I think that that gets a that gets missed a lot um when we're having the discussion of inclusion i w- I just had this conversation with um with some people um from the tash conference uh I was just recently at um are you familiar with tash Ashley? yes yes okay um so Uh, We were talking about how, when we talk about inclusive education, you know, what should be emphasized. And since I was a special education teacher in a segregated special education classroom for students with, you know, uh, multiple disabilities, um, I thought that, well, you know, I was having high expectations for my kids. I was trying to push them out into general education as much as possible. Um, I was giving access to general curriculum standards. I mean, that's like, what else do you want? You know, that's inclusion, right? Well, what I didn't realize was that when we're really looking at authentic inclusion, you can't be a member of a community without actually being in the community. And that includes general education classrooms. Like, you know, it, the very nature of those segregated classrooms being in a school means that some kids are excluded and that that community has decided this is okay. So that to me, as I've really evolved and kind of gone to and really understood what that inclusive education means, it means that that absolutely has to be minimized as much as possible and now there's certain students that we may not have figured out how to include um and they we may need to make arrangements for them um and those arrangements may be may need to be separate uh as alternate placements but that doesn't mean that we create programs disability specific categorical programs that we create for students Uh, because I don't think that that is the spirit of IDEA. I don't think that's what LRA really means. I think that um, when we talk about inclusion, we talk about everyone in first and then we decide on the needs of the student. Um, And so again, some inclusionists don't like that I bring that up that there may be separate places. uh, but I, I also feel like we have to be realistic and um, think about how we're constructing um, and that the goal is one hundred percent no place no separate placements. That that is good. the goal. If, that if is the just, goal.
3: If you get a child just to a classroom, but the classroom isn't effective, then we aren't doing the child a service. So I completely agree with you. I mean, you know. In an ideal situation, is it absolutely possible and is it absolutely best practice? Yes. But if the people and the systems don't have the structure in place yet, all we can do is continue to advocate for that structure to be in place, but we can't place a child without good um, without good systems in place, right? So yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you entirely. And I yeah. think anything else... Anything to the contrary. If anybody says anything to the contrary, they they aren't really looking at what the school looks like. Because if you look at the school, heck, even even our own houses. Sometimes when I have parents that say, "No, I don't want one minute of pullout," or "I don't want one second of um, anything that that anybody else doesn't have," I say, "Okay, I I completely validate that, but." Do you ever go out to dinner with just you and your significant other? Or do you ever um, say, you know, like in my family, um, do you? It, 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 so in my family, I'll just tell you the little story because the questions are silly. Um, but, you know, Jack has a really, really, really hard time going to his brother's swim meets. The sensory environment is just not good for Jack. And it makes him very, very anxious. And if I was a really strict inclusionist, I would say, Jack's got to go to the swim meet because the whole family's got to show up at everything we do. Right. And, And that is not right for Jack. Would that be great? Yes. Would his brother love for him to see him swim? Absolutely. Do we find ways for him to see his brother swim? 100%. Because we know that that is part of our inclusive family environment, but we don't cram him into the placement of the general education swim meet that's hot and loud and crowded and make him endure that because there aren't supports for him. There aren't adequate supports for him
2: there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great example of, you know, if you, if you were to have right um, just said, okay, he's in and you know, he's, he's being tortured because he's in there, you know, and, and then, and then go back and say, well, inclusion, inclusion didn't work. You know, didn't work. It's not that it didn't work. It's just that the supports and the accommodations, you you do the best that you can, um, you know, in that environment. And you, you make decisions that are very unique and personal and individualized for that, you know, but, So, so there, there is some, there is some nuance there, right? There is some nuance. Um, It's not a hundred percent in a hundred percent out, you know, type of thing uh, or a hundred percent in without figuring out what that looks like. Right. And so going down the list, right. Of the four things placement or being there, I guess, physically, physical presence is what we talk about. And then we also talk about membership, participation and learning. So in the school context, if a a learner is in a classroom, are they a member of that classroom? Um, Are they part of the community? Are they missed if they are gone? Um, Do they feel like they have friends? These are all important aspects of being authentically included. Um, and then for participation, I, what can are- Can I
3: say something about that? Yeah. Belonging, like I, you know, in DEIB discussions, mm-hmm. we, would, we would call that belonging, right? So that yeah. feeling of being a part of the group, something that I've really grown with as a parent is, um, and you said this well, so do they feel that? Because I can't mm-hmm. tell you how many times both of my kids have done things and I've thought, oh, they don't like they, Jack wasn't really included or Griffin wasn't really having fun. Well, let me tell you something. Jack, nine times out of 10, will feel very included. He'll tell you all about his friends and everything else. He might have really only actively engaged with somebody for 12 minutes and a two hour long birthday party. But he will talk about those 12 minutes and those friends and that. One thing that he was able to regulate himself to participate in, like he went down the the bouncy house slide five times. Everybody else did it thirty eight times. He did it five times, and he will think that that is the greatest thing in the world. And I have to get rid of my type A, you know, straight A student mm-hmm. vibe and be like, "You did a great job. That was really fun. I'm so happy that you had fun with your friends and that sort of thing." If he thinks he if he feels like he had a great time, case closed, that is awesome. We can always push for more. That's my personality, but we don't have to. And same thing, like my son Griffin, who is neurotypical, um, he is very stoic. And I like turn cartwheels and jump up and down when I'm excited. You can hear it in my voice. Griffin does not. And I have to tell myself all the time Griffin is having fun. Griffin is showing that he is having a good time differently then I would. And that is not only okay, it is beautiful. So that belonging piece, we have to make it student centered or person centered and and kind of take ourselves out of it, or at least separate ourselves from those emotions.
2: Yeah. I like that. I like how you're, you're putting that. Um, yeah. Because sometimes as an educator, you're like, well, yeah, um, there you make assumptions of like, oh yes, they're having fun. Yes. They feel Included, yes, they uh, feel like they belong, um, but it could go either way, right? right so that's the thing right, that yeah. I think that's the most important thing is you need to ask, right? Uh, I mean, I tell, um, I teach a class, um, apart from MCIE that for for uh, in Georgia for uh, Georgia special educators, and and uh, about on on autism, and so I often tell the the participants in the class like you know how do you learn about autism well you might want to ask your students <laughs> you might want to ask someone with autism um because they are they're the ones who are the the master or the uh, expert of their own experience right um and we just have to not make assumptions about how people think or feel and just ask them you know i think that's probably a, that's probably a universal thing but you know, especially for, you know, learners with disabilities. So um, real quick, I wanted to finish my four. Yeah,
3: keep going, keep going. Uh,
2: so participation, Um, what is the learner doing in the class? Like actually doing, are they doing the same types of activities that everyone else is doing or they're in the back of the class and they're working on letters and sight words and everyone else is doing math, you know? It's like, we we really have to think like, if that's happening, that's, that's not inclusion, right? Um, Participation, even if it is only participation, um, you can, you can um, modify an activity. So any learner can participate in an activity. Um, So you have placement, membership, participation, and what are they learning? Are they learning grade level standards? Are they, are, are they getting access to grade level standards? Um, there's so many resources out there to be able to modify curriculum. Um, and uh, Ashley, I'm, I know that you have your own um, information on that. But as you know, you know a fifth grade science lesson, um, you, c- you can do things to that lesson to give access to someone who is reading uh, below grade level. Uh, or, you know, is only able to access it at an entry level. Uh, So, you know, we need to make sure that if that's not happening, um, we're not calling that inclusion, right? So placement, membership, participation, and learning. That is how MCIE defines it. I think that's a great um, way to think about it.
3: Yeah, I really like that as well. I think that, you know, kind of summarizes it. Extremely well, and that learning component—it it can take on so many different forms, right? So, I—I I think that's really important. Well done, Tim.
2: <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, no, and you know, i I don't want to I don't want to miss this either. Um, you know, the big thing that we do at MCIE is systems change work. So, we partner with school districts to want to be more inclusive, uh, of all learners. And we partner with them for a, a multi-year, um, phased in approach. So we've done this multiple times in the state of Maryland, um, because we, we, um, have historically been funded by, uh, state grants in the, by the Maryland department of, of, uh, education. Um, but we, over the last, you know, five to 10 years have been working with other states uh, this year, in particular, we're working in Illinois, uh, Oklahoma, and Virginia. We've got a number of other states coming on board. Hopefully, in the next um, in the next calendar year in 2023. Um, but it's all around the work of systems change um, and equipping school leaders to really um, champion this work because you know inclusive education isn't going to happen with one professional development workshop it, it just isn't it needs to be um a top down um implementation and so um something that uh carol is uh really great about talking about and i'm not so great about talking about it, but you know uh systems change the the work that we do it's it's based on implementation science so there's like this actual science of how to change systems and it's it's um really amazing that not it, it's amazing to me that not everyone is doing this <laughs> so i guess it's just my bias but you can really change systems if you do it a certain way and we've been doing that work for so long and um it, it's it's honestly actually it's my job to tell people right that you can do it so if you're listening um and you are a school leader, you can do it. It is possible and, and it can be sustainable. Um, so anyways, I could go on and on about that. Thank you. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, and that's a very good point. So, you know, that kind of ties back to what we were saying about placement, right? Like, you know, there's always room for improvement. There's always room, you know, even, even those of us that are pretty, about inclusion in my own home, I know there are way um, better strategies and even just mentalities that we can have about inclusion in the community for Jack, um, which is, you know, kind of where I'm the master contractor, right? Like I'm in charge of um, home and community. And so I think that's a really good point that we have to put systems in place um, in order to get things started, and then we can continue to change the systems. and there are ways to change systems. And there are wonderful organizations and experts all across our country, um MCIE being a, a, a wonderful leader in that area where we can really affect change. Um, and so we've got to advocate for our kids, and then we've got to advocate for continued change across the across the land as as we say. Um, I think that kind of leads to my next question, Tim, and that is when you see inclusion done right, what's it look like?
2: Yeah. So um, that is that's that's a hard that is a hard question. Um, but I will say that I had the opportunity to visit Cecil County Public Schools in Maryland, um, and They're a district that MCIE worked with uh, in the early 2000s uh, on systems change, and they are currently, um, we would say, uh, one of the most inclusive school districts in the United States. And we have a very, very short list. They're in in the top. Um, And by the way, there is no list (laughs) of of, of fully inclusive schools. Yeah, thank you. Um, Because 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 a lot of reasons, Um, but we we pick Cecil County uh, public schools because we because of our history with them Um, and because, you know, we often get the question of where are the inclusive schools, right? And uh, we wanted to be able to, to point somewhere. So we we have two, actually. We have Cecil County Public Schools in Maryland, and we have Westland-Wilsonville Schools, a Westland-Wilsonville School District uh, in Oregon. And the reason why we picked those two is because um, not only do they have um, high LREA uh, percentages, uh, they're close to 90% in Cecil County, um, and um, I think over 90% in Westland-Wilsonville. But they have everything that we've talked about. Their uh, leadership uh, is committed uh, to uh, inclusion and belonging for all learners. Um, They don't have disability-specific programs. Uh, Every learner is in. Um, And the reason why I know this specifically for Cecil County is uh, we are producing a podcast series called Inclusion Stories. Um, For this very reason, we wanted to be able to tell the stories of, not only families who are pursuing authentic inclusion for their child, but also highlight the school districts that are actually doing this work. And so I was able to visit uh, Cecil County public schools in September of 2022. um, In preparation for this podcast series, I did some recording. I was able to tour the schools, um, interview the school leaders. And uh, it was absolutely amazing. First of all, the mindset of the school leaders. Every single leader I talked to um, had a mindset that everyone, it, it, all learners belong in general education first, every single one. Um, <clears throat> and that the services were delivered at the home school. Um, and that learners are general education students first, uh, they ride the same buses. As everyone else, there's no special education buses. Every every learner, uh, you know, so the 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 bus even even down to the bus systems, the buses were equipped with, you know, supports whether that was a lift or whether that is with personnel. Those learners went to those uh, went to their home school, um, and they're supported. Learners with communication, um, you know, uh, complex communication. Uh, needs um uh, learners with intellectual disabilities uh learners on the autism spectrum um are all included so to see that actually in practice at multiple sites was just it was absolutely amazing um so i think that they are a great example of of how to do it um and and just as a preview um to your conference at the end of January. Um, Good I'm gonna be uh, as, one <laughs> thank you, as one of the sessions, I will be, um, I guess playing would be the best word, playing the a pilot episode of inclusion stories that will feature a family um, here in Georgia that is uh, pursuing authentic inclusive education. And um, some clips from my interviews with um, the people at Cecil County.
3: Yay! I can't wait to see it. You know, I think you just gave a really good list. You talked about a school where it's going well, and you gave a list of things that people can look for when they are either leaving their district because they aren't happy or they're moving. You know, I have a lot of military families that listen to my podcast and they are moving um, a lot um and so i think that list is very very helpful um and i agree with you I, I you know i mean we've got to um continue to shift the mindset of folk um i've talked about this on my pa- podcast as well like you said at the beginning um of this episode when i was first um teaching when i was in school you know a big question was do you think that everybody should be educated in the same classroom? And I was like, no, absolutely not. I mean, they're going to bring everybody else down. The whole thing's going to slow down. And, you know, I, I'm not going to get my extension activities that I need if I'm in class with people that need more time to figure it out. Um, And it's so crazy how um, my experience as an educator and as a self advocate and then most uh, for me most dynamically as a parent um have changed the way that i have thought about inclusion i mean complete 180 um yet you know i still kind of see um i mean obviously there the research supports it also right so i don't want to see i see the other side of the of the argument because i don't see the other side of the argument but I understand, I think, how some people are still extremely intimidated because, listen, it is intimidating. Um, It's intimidating for me sometimes as I think about a community experience for Jack. It's intimidating as I am a member of his IEP team and help them negotiate some inclusive question that we have in a system that isn't completely perfect. Um not that there is a completely perfect system, but in a system that, you know, has plenty of room for improvement. Um, it, But you know what, here's the thing is, as an advocate, and as a parent, I am ready for it, bring it, you know, I mean, maybe 300 days out of the year, I wake up thinking, okay, here we go, let's do it. Um, And maybe 50 something years, days out of the year, I'm like, I'm tired, I'm, I'm taking a break. And we'll just see how things go. So um, we got to stay at it, right? That's
2: real. That is real. Yes, that is real. Um, and I I think that, I think that inclusionists have to, and, and I do call myself that, um, uh, we, we have to be, we have to be real, you know, we have to be real about, um, that it's hard, that it's hard. And also that, um, you know I'd rather have a school that was moving toward inclusive practices right um, even if it wasn't perfect you know right. and I think that I like what you said about not you know allowing things not to be perfect um
3: perfectly imperfect
2: that's we, our brand you just we, Yeah, yeah, there you go. Perfectly imperfect. We we have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with that because you know we have to be moving. We're either moving toward inclusive practices or you know authentic inclusive inclusive education or not. You know, um. And when I hear like so, when I hear when I hear school districts that are like, oh, we're creating an inclusion program, you know, like all learners with intellectual disabilities are now going to be included. Right. Okay. But what about like everyone else? You know, (laughs) like that may, okay. That's great. Like, I don't like personally, I do not think that is moving toward inclusive education.
3: Well, okay. So, you know, a huge piece to inclusive education is the modifications and accommodations that are in the gen ed curriculum, right? Like, Everybody's going to get really good specially designed instruction when they go out of the classroom for special education or when special education services are pushed in. Not everyone, but, you know, it it is um, pretty straightforward for a special educator or a general education provider or a related service provider to come in and implement a curriculum um, that is designed to help a student read or to help a student um self regulate or whatever you know like it you can learn z- zones of regulation pretty quickly you can learn or gillingham reasonably quickly um but and and you should be able to implement those things with fidelity but to modify the general education classroom and all of those experiences and to provide that grade level access to every student that is based on their unique needs is a really exciting and constantly changing challenge. And so people have to, it, it, to the extent that it's not, you probably need a framework shift. And you probably need to, to to think to yourself, you know, this is a really awesome opportunity. I am in a job that allows me to continue to learn because humans are different. And that's really beautiful. If all the humans were the same, life would not be beautiful. Um, and so I get the opportunity to teach this that I've taught over and over and over again. Like I literally turned down a job because I was going to teach German to eighth graders. um, Like I think a six week course, eight times a year for six periods a day or five periods a day. And I was like, oh my gosh,
1: Mm
3: -hmm. I would die. But if it was, I would not literally die. But if it were a wholly inclusive school and I got to figure out how to do that, um, even if it was just one period a day for a learner with uniquely different needs, hmm, maybe that challenge would have been interesting enough that I would have taken that because teaching school can get really monotonous and boring. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's just shifting the framework and thinking, Oh, this is kind of cool. I get to do something a little bit different, you know? Um, so yeah, but I think a humongous, Aspect to inclusion, and something that we can't overlook is the best practices for modifying that gen ed curriculum, that gen ed content, and, and providing it in an equitable and meaningful way to all students based on their. Mm. Um. Yeah. So. Yeah. We have yeah. answered um, all the world's I, questions, I, Tim.
2: Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> I feel like we could ask more questions but that may have to be like another time right
3: well that that's the way all of my podcasts end is oh man we ran out (laughs) of time i wanted to say so much more but the people can't listen forever you know that's what i've come to realize
2: right exactly exactly yeah yeah well um If you are a listener of Think Inclusive, please, please, please listen, uh, take a a look at the episodes that Ashley Barlow has on her podcast, because I know that you'll find um, some that are very, very beneficial, if not all of them.
3: And, you know, Tim, I think that we can promise our listeners that the organizations um for whom we work and the organizations um that are so near and dear to our heart will continue to collaborate and we will continue to bring um good content that is inclusion centric as well as um content that has inclusion undertones at all times um because these conversations are far from over and there's so much more good work to be done
2: absolutely well um Ashley Barlow, thanks for being on the Think Inclusive podcast.
3: Thank you. And I will echo the sentiment that Tim just gave, and that is be sure to follow um, all of the platforms that are over at MCIE as well as Think Inclusive. And thank you, Tim. This has really been an honor.
2: Think Inclusive is written, edited, and sound designed by Tim Viegas, and is a production of MCIE. Original music by Miles Kredich. If you enjoyed today's episode, here are some ways that you can help our podcast grow. Share it with your friends, family, and colleagues. And if you haven't already, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Special thanks to our patrons, Melissa H., Sonia A., Pamela P., Mark C., Kathy B., Kathleen T., Jarrett T., Gabby M., Aaron P., and Paula W. for their support of Think Inclusive. For more information about inclusive education or to learn how MCIE can partner with you and your school or district, visit MCIE.org. Starting this month, we are publishing three episodes per month. So look in your feed very soon for the next one. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for your time and attention. And remember... Inclusion always works.